2: Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined by my co host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, it's been a while since we've done a podcast uh, where we're not talking about Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, we've done a couple of episodes about, about that show, which has been great. Uh, we'll get into that in the listener mailbag. In that time, though, since the last podcast where we, where we dived into whether it was talking about TV or streaming or, or the Premier League or soccer from around the world. Since that time, Todd Bowley tarnished years of good work by American investors. Gary Neville replied that U.S. investors are a clear and present danger. Clubs in UEFA discussed the possibility of playing a, a mini tournament in the United States instead of the UEFA Super Cup in future years. And then Premier League clubs have discussed the possibility of not playing in the League Cup from the 24 season onwards um, and also stopping replays in the third and fourth rounds of the FA Cup. So a lot has happened. And actually, a lot happened uh, th- this day that we're recording this one, which is Friday. But um, we, we, we mentioned this on Twitter. So anyone that follows us on Twitter in terms of uh, Todd Bowley, when he did come out with those, that reaction, uh, I, don't, I don't i don't want to go into it too deep just because you may know, it 's a little bit old news in some ways, but having said that though too, it is a it is something that's important because American investors are, are with the Premier League and, and, and actually throughout European soccer now in terms of whether it's Italy or Scandinavia uh, or France, etc. So it is a constant. So even though Todd Bowley's uh, comments were in the past, it is something that's important. What, what's your take on some of the things that have been said recently, whether it's Todd Bowley or Gary Neville or, or anyone else out there in terms of um, – The the, kind of the feeling about uh, American investors investing in the game of soccer and, in quotation marks, changing the sport.
1: Yeah, there's uh, a lot of fear out there. I know the situation at Burnley pretty well, and that's uh, that's sort of a template that fans are are concerned other American owners are going to follow. So let's review that. Burnley uh, is a Premier League club a year and a half ago. Uh, when they're bought or closer to two years now, they are in no debt. they're impeccably well run, as I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows. there's a reason why they were punching above their weight in in terms of performances. And um, effectively, a private equity uh, private equity with a frontman and Alan Pace buys them out, throws debt on the side with the buyout, has no real plan for uh, long-term structure of the club other than somehow staying in the Premier League and getting the money from the Premier League. They get relegated this past year, and there's lots of uh, lo- lots of concern there, right? And Vin- Vincent Company has come in, and he's had to rely on the generosity of his former club, Manchester City, with loan players and finding young players uh, and selling guys. Uh, you-, you have a situation at... Um, uh sorry chris i'm going to bring this up uh you have a situation at swansea city where uh you have an ownership that has not invested in the club that has taken the the, the players who come through swansea system and monetized each and every one of them seemingly in every transfer window I, i'm including january windows in this to the point where swansea has gone from a club that was on the cusp of returning to the premier league for multiple seasons to being where you guys are now and, and um, I'm just hoping you guys can stay in the championship long term with this situation. And there are many other examples. I'm just giving you two smaller club examples. So my – people don't get angry. I know mostly Americans listen to this podcast. I'm just reporting what I hear. The people I talk to in the U.K. who are Chelsea fans are nervous. The people I talk to who are Chelsea fans in the US are not nervous, they love the fact that the Dodgers owner owns Chelsea. But uh, people I talk to in the UK who are Chelsea fans are nervous. People I talk to outside the UK Uh, in the rest of the world who are Chelsea fans are nervous they um, now they had it really good with Roman Abramovich right they had a guy that um, even though they had all this debt he was always going to write it off right he he had turned some of the debt into equity in the club he spent freely um, maybe very impulsive so I, I think maybe they're spoiled let's be honest about it but uh, they're nervous that – they're also very nervous about the structure of the football, that, that, that Boley has fallen in love with this idea of, uh, of emulating the Red Bull model or emulating the City Football Group model without actually getting Chelsea itself right before he starts talking about buying other clubs and creating this incubator and then um, – their academy, and obviously he, he he somehow for some reason thought Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne had come through their academy. So there's a there's uh, Chris a lot of nervousness about him.
2: Yeah, I think uh, to be fair, I mean. There's been lots of examples of uh, foreign investors, um, and I'll say f- foreign too because it's not all of, all Americans, of course. Uh, but foreign investors that have come into Great Britain, and whether it's Burnley or Swansea in your examples, uh, have not done a good job in terms of investing in the club, and have, we've seen the clubs those to, in particular, uh, kind of g- go down the ladder. Um, but there are examples of, of foreign investors that have been good for uh, clubs. Liverpool's probably the best example, and just so happens to be an American investors, Fenway Sports Group. Um, then you see the Glazers, and that's a, a, another example of what not to do. Uh, over $500 million in debt, um, uh, that club is almost half a billion, actually over half, half a billion dollars in debt. But I think it's one of those things. I mean, the Todd Bowley thing got under my skin really more so, not because he's American by any means. It doesn't that that that, that that's insignificant. But more so in terms of him being new to the sport, coming in and instantly start start talking about changes. Okay, so we're going to change this. We're going to add a. Um, uh, a competition we 're going to add playoffs uh, to the relegation race. We can do all these things to to try to raise money for for the pyramid uh, when the simple solution is is just to go ahead and pay more of a percentage on the TV revenue and have that go towards the the lower cl- uh, the clubs in the lower divisions in England um, you mean so, so that that would solve it overnight rather than trying to invent something that seems very american and also inventing or well, actually not inventing but suggesting that there's going to going to be an all-star game that all-star game can be a, a fundraiser um and i'm not a fan of all-star games in general i mean to me it's contrived um you, the mls all-star game is something that it's on every year i, I never watch it never have any in, interest in seeing it even when it was I think about two hours down the road from me. I had no interest in going to that, so I, th- I think in that that's the issue I have. It's not because he's American, and, and there are people out there that have said, okay, well, the only people, the only reason that people are getting upset about this is because he's, he's American. But that's not true. It's just somebody new coming in, not knowing the sport, not knowing the culture, and making these suggestions. But I think foreign investment is good. And I think I'm sure there's going to to be ideas that come up that could work, that could be something that uh, makes sense. And and some of those things that are led off with Kartik in terms of what's changed since uh, the last episode that we did um, in detail uh, are things that there are suggestions of change. So whether it's the mini tournament in the U.S. to replace the UEFA Super Cup. So having uh, three teams from the Champions League, um, as well as an MLS team playing in some type of tournament as kind of a a kickoff of the uh, the Champions League season. That's something that to me is appealing. There's not much uh, gravitas in the UEFA Super Cup anyway. I mean, it it is a tournament that, uh, yeah, it's interesting to watch but it's not a must-see and maybe this is a way to kind of gain interest in in that uh, in that competition and get the excitement levels up and then we talked about the Premier League the Premier League clubs uh, talking about the possibility of uh, stopping uh, replays in the third and fourth rounds of the FA Cup uh, as well as um, maybe fielding U21 sides or, or not fielding sides at all in the League Cup and those are things that could be I'm not for them, but in a crowded schedule in future years, maybe that's that's a, maybe that's something that has to happen.
1: In the EFL Trophy, yeah, in the EFL Trophy, uh, you have a situation where Premier League clubs are already fielding their U21 clubs. So uh, I'm not sure if that means that those clubs would then have the option of fielding uh, the same U21 squad in both trophy competitions, maybe. Uh, so the EFL trophy has changed the last few years because these these reserve teams uh, or, or youth teams from, from Premier League clubs have been thrown into that competition. For those who don't know, that's a competition that involves the third and fourth division sides, League One and League Two sides. Uh, it does not involve amateur teams, and it does not involve Premier League or championship clubs. So, um, yeah, so there's that possibility. There's the possibility that Premier League clubs could skip it altogether, which I – I think will probably likely Chris be not the top six, but clubs further mid table clubs or clubs that may be facing relegation. I mean that's that's the danger I think because the top six clubs by default think they can win these cups, even playing with uh, with watered down squads. They have they have that sort of squad depth, right? Um, so that's my fear: is that once you start giving the opt out, now the other thing about the replays that I, I uh, we, we talked about, Bully and, and uh, talking about this uh, All Star Game concept or being a way to fund lower divisions, and um, it would it would actually send very little money per squad uh, per club, but it would be a little. FA Cup replays, for those who don't know, are critical for clubs that, uh, that are uh, maybe in the, the fourth or fifth tier and get, to, get one of those replays against a big club. Um, and there has to be a way that the Premier League makes up that loss of income for those clubs or for uh, a, a League Two and, and the, Nas- uh, the National League, the, the conference, Right? Because I that I, I I am completely against removing replays for that reason. it is just a way of hurting uh the rest of the football pyramid.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's something that too that uh a lot of those lower league clubs depend on. It's it's their opportunity to maybe break even that season by having a third round replay um Against a big club and to be able to bring in a lot of revenue for, from that one game, um, it's it it's that it's that important for the clubs lower down the leagues. Now, Kartik, let's uh, switch gears uh, to the UEFA Nations League and also, of course, uh, the friendlies that have been played around the world. And I know you're not a big fan of international matches in general. Uh, and, and 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 actually, before we get to that, though, Kartik, let's talk just a little bit. Um, we haven't done an episode since the Queen died, and that's another big change since uh, the podcast. And we had the uh, the death that was on the Thursday, and then uh, the Premier League games were cancelled well, actually, throughout England, um, and Scotland and Wales games ca- and Northern Ireland cancelled that weekend, and... For me, it, it was it was kind of a double blow. It was very depressing. So some, as somebody who was born and raised in Wales, moved to the United States when I was 14, um, I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a British citizen. But the Queen is somebody that's uh, close to my heart in terms of somebody that uh, I've seen on two occasions, but always felt that uh, kind of an affinity to the royal family. And I realized, too, that most... Well not, not most. A lot of British people don't feel that same way uh, or even outside of Great Britain too, that don't feel the same way about the royal family. But for me, it, it, was, some, it was kind of a really a heavy blow. The death of that, and then on, on the weekend, no games at all, and it really felt like a, a like a black hole. It was just like to me, like sometimes oftentimes for me, uh, watching soccer, especially on a weekend, is an escape is, is kind of a way to sit back, enjoy, and focus on something that's enjoyable to me. And outside of that, too, life is enjoyable for the most part. But, I mean, we all go through stress and we all go uh, through different things. But for me, soccer is an escape. It's a passion. It's something I love to watch and and do. Um, So having the double blow of the Queen passing away and then no Premier League games that weekend. um, And then we had the cancellations of uh, three key games the following weekend. And now going into the international break. You know, I? I I was depressed. I, I I felt like a really kind of like kind of a heavy heart. Uh, the soccer, yes, definitely. But but the queen, the queen. In in addition to that, so before we get to <laughs> talking about the international games and uh, the friendlies that that have just happened, uh, I want to get your take too, Karthik, because I I know that um, this affected you pretty uh, greatly too.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what it did is it just it, it moved me back to watching a lot of Bundesliga, and the league is very competitive thus far this season. I mean, we'll see if it remains competitive. I think uh, there were there are clear signs. That, I mean, there's a case that Dortmund will be able to hang with Bayern all season. There's a case that they won't. I mean, they're not they're not scoring goals. They're not getting whole goals now. Marco Reus is hurt, so that's. Uh, he always gets hurt, it feels like at critical times.
2: Can I just add one more thing, thing, though, Kartik? Because that weekend, um, when there was no uh, English or British soccer on, I watched Bundesliga, I watched La Liga, I watched Serie A, but nothing stood out. I mean, no, nothing grabbed me. I, I was watching the games; nothing really amazing happened. I, I, I guess I, I think the I think the Juventus game on the Sunday. Uh, where they, I think they lost that game, but that, that was a shock.
1: You know, they they got a they got a, a dodgy call at the end.
2: Okay, right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But for the most part, it, for me, it was an open invitation for to, to say to almost to say to La Liga, Serie A, and Bundesliga. Okay, wow me, show me something here that you've got an, a, a whole weekend of no English soccer happening. Show me something beautiful. Show me something creative. So, show me something magnificent. And I watched it. Um, but I, I just could not find it. I maybe mean, maybe it was just one of those weekends where nothing really, uh, jumped out, but it just seemed like a really empty weekend. Um, and, and that might've been, you uh, I mean, partly too, also because of the queen passing away and kind of being depressed about that.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually ended up, uh, spending a lot of time car shopping that weekend and, and didn't, wasn't, uh. Uh, didn't get to watch as much football as I would have liked. And, and the car shopping was a direct result of there being no Premier League or Championship. So it, it was the weekend to do it actually, as it turns out, and, and some other factors with, with my other car uh, having problems. But um, last weekend with a number, with most of the big six not playing in the Premier League, uh, the Bundesliga was pretty compelling. And I, and I think uh, the, the the case for Dortmund hanging revolves around the fact that they have three very good center backs. In fact, their fourth center back they jettisoned to Manchester City, and he's starting for the uh, for the reigning Premier League champion. So uh, that kind of tells you how good I think Dortmund's center back uh, options are. But they have shipped goals in 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 uh, in rapid fashion, right? They've, they've conceded seven goals in uh, the season, but th- uh, in two of the matches, they conceded three goals in rapid succession, right? In, in the Raymond game, we all remember. Uh, but the case against them is that they don't have the striking options with Royce Hurt and uh, Haller out, uh, and they're just not gonna be able to score the goals. So I think ultimately Chris will look back uh, at the end of the season and say, okay, it was when the queen, uh, the, 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 the post uh, death of Queen Elizabeth II, Did it compel us about other European leagues? I think that's going to be based on whether the Bundesliga remains competitive or not, or at least from my perspective, it's going to be based on that. If uh, in March, Bayern are eight points ahead or ten points ahead like they usually are, then it'll be like, okay, you know, those were two wasted weekends.
2: Yeah, it helps definitely that uh, Bayern Munich is stumbling right now. They're going through a, a tough patch of uh, not winning a lot of games, um, so it does make the, the Bundesliga more interesting, and, and of course uh, Union Berlin doing so well too uh, at the top. So the there is interest, and it's something that you I mean. I, I don't dislike the Bundesliga. I do like the league. It's just I'm I'm, I'm waiting to be just like uh, I don't know swept off my feet, like so, to see something that really pulls me in that speaks
1: to me. Um, but 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 I think if Bayern is ever not going to win the league, it's going to have to be a team. Like the way Dortmund is playing this year, which is very conservative, winning matches one nil. They have you know, they have tons of the ball, right? They have sixty sixty five percent possession in every game, but they're not they're not the Dortmund of old that was kind of swashbuckling, but then shipping goals at the other end. In games were 3-2. Three, three, I think you have to be efficient and grind out a lot of one nils. So because of that, it's probably not going to grab the neutrals, unfortunately. <laughs> right? It's going to be yeah, more pra- an efficient team that that knocks them. Yeah, off. it's
2: more pragmatic, and it's amazing too. Like- like how poor um, Dortmund was in the beginning of the season, and, and, and how good uh, Bayern Munich was, and then pretty quickly the season changed. Where you mean Dortmund are getting the results, nothing really spectacular in terms of uh, entertainment, and then Bayern Munich is stumbling, and then uh, Union Berlin are doing doing really well at the top. So yeah, yeah, it it doesn't have to be uh, entertainment football. Um, of football as it's meant to be, but it would be nice to get something where you're just like just salivating at, at what you're seeing, and just I mean because we are getting that Karthik from Erling Haaland, which I mean coinc- coincidentally, you I mean pre- previously of uh, Dortmund and um, RB Salzburg, but when we watch Haaland play or we watch Arsenal play, it's just like wow, this this is really. Top draw. It helps when you have some of the best Brazilian players from around the world playing in England, as well as arguably the best striker in the world. Um, there's more to it than that, of course, too. But but that's what I'm hoping for when I'm watching, you mean Serie A or the Bundesliga or La Liga or Liga or you know, MLS or whatever it is. I'm hoping to be swept swept off my feet, and I'm not it, seeing it.
1: Serie A. It it's early in the season, but given that what Napoli did in the summer felt like a lot of cost-cutting and pruning of a veteran squad, a good squad, a squad that I had actually rated very highly uh, and thought that had underperformed the last uh, few seasons, uh, whether it was under uh, uh, Gattuso or, or previously under Ancelotti. Uh, and now Spalletti's getting the best out of them, right? But uh, they're they're not at the same level, player for player, as the Napoli team that finished fifth a couple seasons ago. So... I, I maybe uh, these players are better than I think they are, or maybe Seriat has taken a, a, a significant step back. And I think it may be the latter. Although Juventus's troubles speak to um, something something greater than that, maybe. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know what to make of Seriat and has not grabbed me this season. Uh, um, Atalanta, here's the other thing. Atalanta, a team that I do like, that I've watched a lot, the two teams I've liked to watch in Serie A the last few seasons are Atalanta and Susuallo, right? And um, Atalanta, and no co- coincidence, Susuolo's, uh manager who, who, who did a lot of that is now at Brighton because they played similar football. But um, Atalanta, I think, has trimmed their squad and lost a lot of their better players. And they're in a better position. Relative to the rest of the table, than they've been uh, the last few seasons. So, uh, I tend to think there's a step back from Serie A. There are financial issues at a lot of these clubs. There are limitations on what they can spend in the market, uh, yeah. and we know we know the situation in Spain. So, if anyone is going to challenge England, it would be Germany. But Germany has their own self-imposed structure that 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 uh, kind of restricts uh, restricts. Spending, although I do think when you look at young talent, there's still probably a disproportionate amount of it in Germany compared to the other leagues other than England. So they, it might have to be the Bundesliga that's going to grab your attention if another league does, and, and if the Bundesliga doesn't, I don't think anyone is going to, is the point, which is uh, unfortunate. I think that's bad for football in general. Yeah. You, you, you don't want to have one league that's a super league and then a bunch of other leagues that are decidedly inferior. Even if the best team in one of those leagues is Real Madrid and they beat everyone in England, the league itself is still not as compelling or competitive. It
2: feels that way, right? I mean, it feels like that way to me, like where there's the super league, which now is basically the premier league. And then you have Real Madrid's and then you have maybe Bayern Munich when, when they're, when they're uh, turning it on. But for the most part, it's almost like the super league and Real Madrid are really the powers And then everyone else is just trying to catch up and and doing the best that they can, uh, living within their means. Well, actually, not not even living within the means, but doing the best they can with the money that's available. Um, And they just can't compare to the the Premier League. And the Premier League is not the best thing since sliced bread. There's definitely some games that are pretty boring. uh, But for the most part, if you had to put a wager on... Those Premier League games are going to be more exciting than the other leagues. Partly on this one, I think I've been spoiled in a way by the whip around shows. And because when I turn on the whip around shows, say it's the Golasso show. So for a Champions League or Europa League, I'm seeing bang, 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 goal, goal, goal. And I'm seeing that kind of the best of the best within a two hour period. And Serie A doesn't have a whip around show. The Bundesliga in the United States on English language television or, or streaming does not have a whip around show. And I think those two leagues are, are, are leagues that definitely are in need of it because there's so many. There, there, are, there are good games happening, but sometimes it's trying to find those good games, and you never know which which of the games are going to be good. So when you do have Goal Rush, when you do have Golazo Show, when you do have Zona Football. And when you do have next year with Major League Soccer and the Apple TV deal, having a whip-around show, you're going to see the best of the best in, in a two-hour window. And it, and it changes people's viewing habits. It's, it's changed mine to a large extent where I'm watching more whip-around shows than than I ever did before. Um, and there's more of them available. But, Kartik let's move back on to uh, the uh, international break. So what for you – without going too deep, just because uh, we could spend a whole hour on this one, Uh, what stood out from you from from two games in particular, well, actually three games in particular, uh, USA against Japan, Germany against Hungary, and then uh, Italy against England?
1: Yeah, so I think in terms of Germany against Hungary, uh, Germany continues to have this real problem in terms of um, taking advantage of superior possession, taking advantage of the sort of uh, uh, chances that are created uh, out of, out of uh, midfield. They are, a, uh, they, they are a side that has, I think, a lot of players that are very much repetitive. They had, I think, I think it was like 75% possession. I have to check the stat. Uh, it was over 70. I mean, it felt like it was 75 uh, in this match, and uh, they got beat. And, and Hungary now has given Germany uh, three really difficult games, The game in the Euro. They were very unfortunate not to win Hungary. And, and uh, I, I, I worry now about Germany because I thought they were going to be back in this World Cup under Hansi Flick. I like the construction of the team, but we're not seeing their attacking players uh, able to, 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 to take advantage of opportunities. Timo Werner. Uh, he, he's he's misfiring at the international level Kai Havertz is not consistent enough Serge Gnabry has gone uh, Very very cold The last uh, uh, year or so From the national team Sané uh, is, is very hit or miss uh, Musiala is not I think a guy you can rely on yet At his age So um, yeah I'm concerned about them Hungary continue to play well It's, it's a shame they're not in the World Cup Because they're very good And they've proven that they're very good The last few years uh, England-Italy uh, look, uh, Chris, it, it's I, I, I've been tempted to say that the Nations League doesn't matter for England, and that there's um, that that they'll be able to, um, to, to 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 still be successful in the World Cup. But now I'm beginning to worry because you can't just flip a switch, right? And we're seeing guys who were in bad forms for their club, and I think this is this is pretty significant. That were in bad form for their club, but would play better for England. Now that club form has hit them. We saw a return of Eric Dyer, who I thought was the guy that Southgate needed to recall. I've been saying that for months. Uh, this is the guy he needs to recall. We saw Eric Dyer return today and look, I think, pretty bad, uh, pretty poor in that match. Uh, I, I, uh, I I thought uh, of the guys that 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 played. I I, I really thought Bellingham, I'm speaking of Bruce Dortmund. I thought he was really, he, he's the only guy that's looking really dynamic for, for England. So uh, I'm concerned about that, uh, and I think that that group is looking increasingly weak. Um, you know, my door might be open for Wales, Chris, because the United States, I'm not surprised by, by the performance against Japan. I think Japan is pretty good. Uh, they're unfortunately, for them, in a very tough group uh, in the World Cup. They tend to be in tough groups. Uh, just because they're an Asian team and they're not seeded, right? So they always end up in in these sort of inaccessible groups. But um, Japan plays the kind of high-pressing, energetic game that would give the U.S. trouble. And um, the game went pretty much as I expected it to. I I think the U.S. has been overrated by a lot of pundits. They're a young team, and I will say this. I know this is going to get a lot of people angry. I think the United States qualifying for the World Cup is an accomplishment with the side they have with a team that doesn't have any real veteran leaders, doesn't have guys who had even been through World Cup qualifying before, let alone a World Cup itself. Uh, The only guy that had played significant minutes in World Cup qualifying was Pulisic, right, of of, of this young core. Uh, Weston McKinney was a guy that arena has subsequently said I was going to take him to the 2018 World Cup. In fact, Arena said it before the 2018 World Cup, after he got fired. He said, I, I just didn't think McKinney was, he was too young to, to, to qualify with, but I was going to put him on the roster for the, for the friendlies and, and uh, for, for Russia. So uh, McKinney was on the periphery, but he wasn't in the side yet. The rest of the team is new. And um, you can quibble with Berhalter's selections, right? I, I don't understand why he won't pick Tim Ream. I don't understand why he won't pick Sebastian uh, Legette, who uh, has been okay this year after he moved from New England to Dallas, right? I, I don't understand. Uh, I don't know the John Brooks situation. There's obviously something very deep going on there that he won't pick him. I'd still give uh, Zardes maybe another look. But uh, Burhalter has made his selections, and it's a, it's a young team. You have to expect this. Against a team like Japan that has a lot of good veteran players, uh, presses high, athletic players, guys playing uh, like, like the U.S., U.S. has a lot of guys at high-level clubs now. Uh, Japan has a lot of guys at high-level clubs. It I, didn't surprise me, so I'm not, I'm not freaking out like everybody else is on social media. I think that this was pretty predictable, and the U.S. will probably beat Saudi Arabia and look as good against Saudi Arabia as they look bad against Japan. That's just, again— Relative to the opposition, even though I know Saudi Arabia actually had a really good qualifying. I think they have finished ahead of Japan in qualifying. But they, uh, uh, Japan is a better team, right? Japan is a, a team that has been built uh, through the years in a way that the United States should have been built. So this is my last thought, Chris. I, I don't know if if you don't follow me on Twitter or haven't followed me for a long time, you may not know this. The Japanese program is the program that I've consistently compared the U.S. program to for the last 15 years, saying, okay, they started in a similar point, similar, like, industrialized, uh, 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 wealthy nation, right, Uh, football, clearly not the first sport in Japan, uh, right, I mean, they're, they're baseball also, like the U.S., although I guess the U.S. is now American football, but anyway, it's not the first sport. But they had a federation that wanted to go out and learn. They had a federation that wanted to tap the best knowledge uh, of people from around the world, bring them to Japan, even some foreign managers. Zakaroni managed the Japanese national team for, for a while. Javier Aguirre uh, managed the Japanese national team Bica- for a while. They wanted
2: to, but yeah. who did they hire? Do you remember? They hired Tom
1: American. Yeah, of course. They hired right. an American. So that's what I was getting to. They hired an American. That was what I was getting to. So, um, but in order to, to 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 set their technical direction, they had a guy that they identified who would set that technical direction. He happened to be American. He happened to be a guy our federation doesn't want to does uh, doesn't want to use. And then once they they hired him, uh, they terminated his program after six months. Tom Byers, is his name. So. Um, I, I've compared us to them, and they have been on this trajectory where they go out and bring the expertise in, and they, they've been building. The U.S., very insular, very arrogant, a federation that's more concerned about cronyism and protecting, uh, protecting certain professional leagues and certain um, uh, agendas and, and, and certain, uh, I think, economic interests. So, uh, yeah, Japan is generally two goals better than the U.S., I, I, so I, I wouldn't panic. Blame the federation.
2: Yeah, every time I watch the United States play and they play a disappointing game, uh, I think to myself, okay, wow, this is going to be this is going to be really difficult for the U.S. in that Group B with uh, England, Wales, and Iran. And then I watch England play and I'm like, oh my gosh, this England team is so underachieving. Uh, and I think a lot of it to me is is Gareth Southgate in terms of. Just the way that he has this 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 team playing Uh, against Italy, they weren't as um, held back as they normally are. Um, But you saw that with the the second half, late second half substitutions, uh, Grealish coming on. Um, changing the game. And all of a sudden, then England looks like actually has a little bit of energy moving forward. More creativity, really, is is what it comes down to Uh, and starts to open up the game a little bit and looks like they might be able to at least get a point in that game. Uh, Again, Southgate leaves it too late. So uh, to me, Southgate is the the main issue. I mean, yeah, there's definitely selection issues in terms of some of the players in the squads. Uh, trying to figure out what the best team is. Um, some Definitely some question marks about defense in terms of uh, um, center-back position, like who's going to be there. Maguire might, may not be uh, the best fit. Um, he's still going through a whole transition phase where um, he, I mean, his confidence is sharp. And then Eric Dyer with a great chance uh, to, to show his worth today on Friday, but didn't really uh, come through. So with the U.S. though too, I mean, and then Wales. So Wales to me is um, inconsistent. At times, they look amazing. At other times, they're making some kind of uh, schoolboy errors. Um, so, so th- Wales, it's hard to know which one will turn up. This could be a team that could go win the first game against the United States uh, and then draw uh, against uh, England and then beat Iran and go through the group pretty comfortably. Uh, Or it could be a a team that could go into this uh, group and and lose all three games. You never know. And then then Iran flying under the radar. And Iran's definitely a team uh, not to um, underestimate by any means. So when I do see the U.S. uh, perform badly... Uh, definitely below their their expectations of, of the expectations of what we, we kind of feel that they're at, even against a really good J- Japan side. I look at the other teams and think, okay, well, maybe this group's wide open. Group B, there's really no, there's no and when you uh, mention favorite Iran, in this I one to, to, mention, to, to advance, uh, given how England is playing right now.
1: I, I, when you mention I- Iran also, Chris, I have to mention uh, on the subject of Tom Beyer, another guy, the U.S., had tapped the expertise of uh, Tom Beyer, they didn't, right? They gave him six months and they, and they said, oh, this isn't working because they're, they're always concerned about economics, right? Everything's about money with the U.S. Soccer Federation. They had Carlos Quiroz draw up uh, this this fantastic report, uh, which they never implemented. They implemented maybe 15% of it. I have to go find the report. I have it somewhere. Uh, but uh, Carlos Quiroz should, had outlined a vision for uh, that would uh, uh, make the U.S. Uh, a competitive uh, in in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, competing for, for high honors, World Cups, et cetera, down the road, you know, by uh, realistically by 2014, 2018, completely ignored. Carlos Kirosh I, I believe, has just uh, come back and taken the Iranian head coaching job again. I believe, um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So he's a guy that knows the U.S. He's a guy who knows how to beat the U.S. He knows the flaws in their system. So the U.S. is going into, I, I think, a difficult group now. England is not is not playing particularly well. Uh, Wales, you know, you, you could speak more about them, Chris. But I think um, I like I, I, I like the wide play from Wales. I think uh, uh, Dan James, uh, Dan James, Brendan Johnson. You have. I mean, maybe, I know I threw this out to you on Twitter. Maybe David Brooks is back. He's, he's back training now uh, with, with Bournemouth. It's probably unlikely, right? But um, you've got a lot of good wide options. You can always play bail wide. I, li- I like the team with Kiefer Moore up top. They're not going to do to uh, the U.S. what Japan did today. They're not going to suffocate them in terms of, of, of when the U.S. plays out of the back. But I do think they have the ability when the U.S., if the U.S. doesn't retain possession, to, 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 to move the ball quickly against the U.S. And with uh, Kiefer Moore's strength in the air, uh, combined with Brendan Johnson, Dan James making forward runs, uh, I think that they have a great chance to beat the U.S. Now, I do think the central midfield situation for Wales is 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 questionable, right, in aging uh, central midfield um, but, and at the back, I think it's it's pretty good. Look, I I think it's really helped uh, uh, this year to see Ben Davies play that left center back uh, position for for Spurs, yep. right? That that also gives uh, Rob Page another option on what to do with the with the Welsh back line, and, and uh, has made Davies probably more versatile. So. Uh, I I, th- I like Wales. I'm concerned about the central midfield, but I think the U.S. could very easily lose that game.
2: Well, I would say, though, too, Carter, before just a, a couple of minutes ago, you did mention some of the, the crazy analysis that's out there in terms of um, mostly from U.S. soccer journalists or you know, media people. And part of it, though, too, I, I think this is important for listeners to know, is part of this is in terms of the World Cup, it is in the business interests of everyone at fox um at telemundo and and anyone that's really kind of into uh making money off the us men's national team doing well in the world cup it's in the the interest of everyone in mean in, in those circles to go ahead and paint a positive picture and say that, yeah, the U.S. has a really good chance of getting into the, to the second round, or as some of the pundits w- were saying uh, in the last 24 hours, that, yeah, Wales is beatable. Wales is the team that uh, the U.S. will uh, be able to come up up, up against, and, it, and it's, it's a good fit for the United States to go ahead and beat Wales and move through. And and you know how it is, Kartik. When it comes down to it, I mean, anything could happen in the game. Yes, the U.S. could win. Yes, Wales could win. Yes, it could be a draw. But I, I, I think we have to remember too that oftentimes too, people are thinking in terms of what's in the best interest of, say, Fox Sports or Telemundo or whoever it may be, um, thinking that are wanting that the U.S. to go far because if they go far, then they make more money. You mean in terms of the, the broadcasters or the media companies and uh if the u s exits in the first uh, the first round we've seen this car tick there 's so many Americans that completely stop watching the Americans will I mean, no, when I say Americans, some casual soccer fans will only watch the World Cup for as for as far as the U.S. goes. Once the U.S. is out, they'll stop watching. Now, you'll get some casuals that will go on and will fall in love with the sport. We'll go ahead and watch um, all the other games too. Not all, but, you mean, watch the World Cup final and and see those other stories. But a lot of it in the United States is based on how well the U.S. team does. So it's in the best interest of pundits at Fox or Telemundo or elsewhere to to talk positively about the U.S. and say, okay, this is great. They've got really good chances of progressing through this tournament. And and who knows? I mean, we've seen some U.S. soccer journalists say that, who knows? Maybe they, they can win it. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. And actually, I'll go, I'll go first on this one, Karthik. And that is, uh, <laughs> uh, F1. F1. F1, Formula One, has had massive success around the world, particularly in the United States. And a lot of that has been because of the documentary series uh, that they've had on Netflix. Well, this week, Netflix has been in discussions with the Premier League. Uh, they want to go ahead and do a similar uh, documentary series about the Premier League. And Kartik, we've seen this. I think you've seen it too. I think, but there's a lot of people out there that fell in love with F1 because of the Netflix series and they started watching it. They had no interest in Formula One or Grand Prix, watched that series, and it hooked them so much that they went ahead and started watching F1 races on Sundays. Um, I wonder, with the Premier League, You mean, if you're a producer at Netflix, I mean, is, is, are there stories, are there things that are going to. Um, be interesting uh, that 's going to attract people to watch the Premier League based on on a documentary series do you think there 's there's, there's enough there to make it a success
1: yeah absolutely I, I I think this is going to be great for the Premier League uh, if this happens, and I think it 'll boost the popularity in the u s uh, tremendously so uh, it, it's uh i i i'm not really in the net netflix ecosystem but a lot of people watch netflix and don't watch other streaming services it really surprises me uh to learn that so i i think uh uh, to observe that, I think it's going to be great if it happens.
2: Yeah, and then the last piece of news is I'm not sure how closely you've been monitoring this, Kartek. Uh, there's been a lot going on in the world in the last few weeks, uh, both in sports and politics. But uh, have you heard these rumors about uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and yeah. NBC?
1: Yeah, so actually, um, because of the situation at CNN, I've been. Uh, I've been in more conversations about discovery in general and, and people's uh, uh, opinions of of, di- of the of the discovery Warner merger and how that's affecting the editorial direction at CNN uh, than I'd like. Right, I'm, I'm just a lot of the people that are in my circle are talking about this constantly. So uh, it, it actually probably came on my radar before everyone else's. This this talk of. A, uh, a A merger between NBC universal and the uh, discovery warner uh, 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 the combined warner discovery company and um, it would be a, uh, a a juggernaut in terms of sports and then I think what it also does is that the thing that i 'm um, hearing from from the people i 've talked to about discovery or Warner discovery now uh, but the discovery the, the, the people who've come over from Discovery is that they're into kind of value add for their profile. Okay, they know certain properties don't make them money. They make money in other ways, but there are value adds uh, in the way uh, they want to be viewed in the greater uh, greater ecosystem of, of 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 media conglomerates, media companies. So a lot of the stuff uh, that NBC Universal owns, um, uh. uh being merged with this would be really, really uh, interesting. Um, And so you would also be in this position where you're kind of combining streaming services. And there's been um, kind of stop-starts with with, uh, Warner Discovery with their streaming services. Now, actually this weekend, as we're recording this on Friday the 23rd, uh, this weekend, HBO Max is, 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 is getting a bunch of new... Uh, programs and 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 features uh, through this merger. Now, Chris, this is interesting because my understanding was that they were going to re- uh, com- merge everything into Discovery Plus, but they're still adding things to HBO Max. Maybe that's the way they make a, a merger or making one thing more seamless. Um, but maybe they're keeping sep- They're they're going to do some things separately, and then if you get the the Universal Library right to add to the Warner Media Library, those two huge film studios historic studios in hollywood uh then that's another value add so the the whole i i would just say this to the listeners keep an eye on warner discovery they're just doing a lot of different interesting things and they're they're constantly popping up on my radar for that reason
2: yeah so a comcast warner brothers discovery deal would combine the film and tv libraries of universal and warner brothers but comcast would would also inherit a large package of live sports uh to boost its already impressive nbc sports lineup so for soccer fans what this could mean if this goes through um is that you would get maybe say through peacock or or, through NBC sports you would get the premier league as you do now but you'd also get uh u.s women's national team games and u.s uh men's national team games and then um u.s open cup uh because Turner Sports have those rights, which falls under the uh, the Warner Brothers um, side of things. So that's, that's the possibility in terms of soccer. That's the type of things we could be seeing. And I think in many ways, too, having a, uh, a Warner Discovery uh, merging with Comcast they're really doing battle with uh, disney i mean that's that's the big player here as as far as like this disney and this paramount so these uh, both disney and paramount are building these large empires um, a lot of it on the backs of streaming and then you've got uh, warner, Bro- uh, warner brothers discovery who we've merged and then you've got nbc universal and nbc universal you know it's great for premier league games uh and we've seen peacock but um Combined would be a lot more powerful in terms of what they could offer. All right, let's move on to uh, listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Tim, and he wants to talk to us about Welcome to Wrexham. Tim says, I think you were somewhat gushing when you were reviewing this series. It's really just the Ryan and Rob show. Their knowledge of uh, football is basic, to say the best, and they seem in it. Uh, more of more as a joke or a lark Uh, just watched uh, episode seven what is wales was essentially absolute nonsense and certainly play into the worst common denominator Uh, let's hope they concentrate more on the football side that's where the interest lies and i think in many ways too that um actually i like that episode where they did a kind of a, a deep dive into wales talked about the history um and then also had the other episode which was well, wide world of sports and i like that too because it was a way of it, both topics so if you're going to do a kind of a um kind of a primer on whales how can you do it in an entertaining way that's going to uh keep uh, fx and hulu uh viewers you know, uh captivated at the same time, too, if you do an episode focused on highlights rather than just showing highlights, how do you make it interesting? Well, you had a, some comedy, you had the wide world of sports, you had the two anchors, and I think in many ways too um, it was it was uh, it was fun watching that. Uh, the information got across in a different way than what we 're used to, um, but I do think that the Ryan and Rob show, yep, it is them. You I mean, they're a large part of this, but uh it's also the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it, and the more I get kind of uh kind of a deeper connection to that community aspect too and that's something that they keep on pushing also. Next up, Jason says, Jason R says, I stumbled upon your podcast while looking for talk about the recent UEFA Champions League matches and really enjoyed the talk about the series Welcome to Wrexham. The conversation about pro REL was spot on. Without a network of connected and distinct leagues and academies to develop and supply them with players, professional sports in the States will only exist in their own silos and paradigms. I'm a lifelong player, official, coach and fan of soccer and even though I was born in the US, I call the game by its rightful name. There is a ball and you move it primarily with your foot, hence football. I look forward to listening to more of the pod. Kartik, so uh yeah, the the conversation about pro rel and uh needing a network of connected and, and uh distinct leagues um is something that's yeah, it, it's it's not there yet. Um, maybe it'll never be. But uh, I mean, to me, I'm I'm not giving up on, on on the hope and dream of either FIFA or U.S. Soccer Federation or some type of new federation that comes in and say, hey, let's do this the right way. Let's make this work where it is going to be attractive uh, to viewers in the United States and not to not just to businessmen.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, as someone who's worked in the game in this country for. <laughs> for for years i i 'm more pessimistic now than ever because I think that we had a window where we could have made a change, and this federation continues to be uh, <laughs> continues to be what it is i mean I, I, and i 've already laid that out earlier uh, in talking about uh, the comparison with Japan on the men 's national team side and their uh, unwillingness to 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 play by international norms, which are logical for things like player development and uh, development of club cultures, et cetera. uh, But Jason R., thank you, and and, uh, really uh, glad to have a new listener and and someone as knowledgeable as you, uh, as experienced as you in the game, listening to us. So uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you much for your feedback.
2: And then last but not least, uh, we have some feedback from Chris. Chris says, I recently had a discussion with some of my friends about Fox's upcoming World Cup coverage and the concerns about it. The biggest one was brought up. Uh, that was brought up was uh, Fox preempting World Cup matches to FS2, especially ones on Saturdays and Sundays to show college football and NFL games on Fox and FS1. Even though I have FS2 through Fubo, many fans do not, uh, due to cable and satellite companies still considering it a premium channel, channel and making people pay extra. Uh, we also discussed college soccer quite extensively and its future. A few friends said that with the rise of national super conferences in college sports, the number of schools having men's programs uh, in soccer, in addition to women's, will increase When it comes to VAR, I have noticed that in the Premier League, it plays more of a role in affecting the outcome of matches than any other league I watch, mainly because it is used more often than, say, Major League Soccer. However, in the past few weeks, my team, Seattle, was denied an important point against Orlando because of VAR, especially the winning goal Orlando scored, which was clearly offside in my view. Last but not least, as for CBS hiring Ray Hudson, I think it's an excellent move in terms of bringing more excitement and energy to their coverage. I agree with Chris about Dre Cordero. At least CBS did not go the route Fox did with the, uh, the Champions League by bringing in a commentator with a non-soccer background to replace Peter Drury, which would have been a disaster. Any thoughts on any of those comments there, uh, Kartik, from Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I tend to... Uh, really agree on the Ray Hudson thing. And and I think uh, 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 it's it's really good also that they've gone the soccer route, right? Dre, uh, Ray Hudson, as you said. Um, (laughs) On par, you're absolutely right, Uh, Chris. I I, I, I think the Premier League, I'm now coming around, and this this is not an original theory. Stuart Robson said this first. Uh, and has stuck with it that the Premier League likes the attention, right? They're all about the entertainment, greatest show on earth. So they've made VAR deliberately more controversial than they, than it is in Germany and in uh, 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 Italy, in Netherlands, MLS, yeah. et cetera. We saw how well VAR could work uh, in this U.S.-Japan game, right? That was pretty straightforward. I, I see the, the Japanese goal, the first goal. I'm like, he's on. Right, yep. just logically, he's on. We didn't see lines drawn, and oh, his kneecap might have been off. Um, and Japan got the goal. Right, took yep. what thirty seconds. VAR came back. Okay, goal. But that's that's. So so the problem is the Premier League doesn't work it that way.
2: Yeah, maybe it's on purpose or maybe it's by uh, ineptitude. But, I mean, to me, the Premier League still does its dirty laundry in public, which is using VAR. So you see the VAR and you see them rewinding fast forward. You see the lines coming out and you see kind of the slowly they're trying to line it up. So you're seeing it in real time. And with Major League Soccer, Uh, you don't see any of that even though they have var they're using var behind the scenes the bundesliga for the most part you don't see any of that too they come back with a decision and say okay here's the evidence to show that this was onside or offside whatever it may be um it'll be interesting to see in terms of the uh semi-automated offside technology we've seen that that in the champions league so far and it does work however uh it still doesn't fix the issue of you mean it, it can be a player that's just uh, I mean a fingernail offside and it shows the players lined up side by side and and you see I mean a fingernail dif- difference in calling that offside um, it does I mean it doesn't fix the issue of the offside rule being outdated in my opinion and, and favoring um, the defender. Um, but at least you do see that, and it, but but again too, that's automated. It's it's computer technology, so uh, you can't really blame. I mean, say uh, UEFA for that. So, I mean, it's it's IFAB. IFAB has to change the rules. But yeah, going back to what Chris said about the Premier League, uh, it does seem to be changing outcome comes of games. There've been some really controversial decisions this season thus far and having, the, 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 you mean having that dirty laundry aired in public makes it more apparent. All right, listeners, um, so definitely get in touch with us. Let us know what feedback you have or what questions you'd like to ask us about anything that we talked about today or anything about uh, TV or streaming, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a few different ways you can reach us. You can reach us through Listener Mailbag, through our audio uh, voicemail, So if you want to leave leave a uh, audio voicemail, call us at 561-247-4625. Again, that's 561-247-4625. And uh, you'll get a voicemail prompt. Just go ahead and leave that message there. Or you can reach us uh, through email, which is web, uh, W-E-B, at worldsoccertalk.com facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk uh, twitter at worldsoccertalk um, and of course the, the website worldsoccertalk.com and look for the podcast thread and just go ahead and leave uh, some comments there Karthik, uh, before we head out of here I know uh, a lot of people will be follow, following you on twitter uh, but where can they reach you?
1: Uh, they can reach me on Twitter at KKFLA737.
2: All right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. It's good to be back. Hopefully you're enjoying the international break. And uh, thanks again for listening to the show. And then Kartik heading into another weekend of football and one more week of international break until the uh, the regular season's uh, return. What are you going to do? And what should the listeners do?
1: Enjoy your football.